0: Just continue walking through this series, uh, looking at some of the um, uh, things we need to understand in order to deal with some of the wounds of our heart. And this has been a very powerful series for us, I believe. And I believe if we take it seriously; it can make a lot of change in our life. Amen. Um, at the beginning, we talked about um, the wounds and how that. I need to turn on my mic. How that everybody. Um, doesn't matter who you are, you've all had some wounds, you know, it's not just traumatic experiences, uh, and so forth. Not if you go through something bad, uh, we all have wounds, uh, one way or another, we've been wounded. And that's like a, a plow, like a farmer's implement that digs in and digs into the heart and turns it upside down and makes it uh, very uh, fresh and raw. And in that moment, when those things happen, the devil likes to take advantage And he likes to plant seeds during that time. And of course, we know the Holy Spirit of God is there, and he's always willing to help us understand the truth. But because of the lack of uh, interest in truth in the world, because of the lack of uh, teaching from the Word of God, uh, many times the devil gets the advantage with wounds in people's lives. And Satan beats us there. Because lies, uh, he can throw them in at any moment uh, without any uh, resource, you know. And yet the Holy Spirit is always ready and able to help us with wherever we are at. Many times we carry those lies with us uh, for years and years, decades. And only for later on in life to finally address them, to figure out what's going on, why we react certain ways, why we battle emotionally. Uh, and then we, we come to the uh, conclusion that there's something not right. And uh, I always find with people... You know, I know. You know, you can do it. You can do it on your own. You can find freedom no matter where you are. Amen. But you got to remember something. When you believe a lie, that lie has become truth. And if that lie that has become truth is truth to you, then it really isn't exposed as a lie. Uh, you're you're holding on to it as a truth. And sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need something to point it out. And that's what's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series is uh, just to prod in and poke a little bit and maybe bring some of those things to the top so that some of the wounds in our life can be exposed. And uh, that's wonderful. If we have truth there already, uh, folks, God uses our suffering. Uh, in fact, I think the reason why many of us aren't successful in a Christian life, we don't know how to handle our suffering. We don't know how to relate it to God in our life. But suffering has a purpose, every bit of it. Amen. Uh, suffering whether it's something that was out of your control or suffering that was within your control. Uh, Even if you you, uh, initiate it and you, because of your actions, brought suffering into your life, God is so good, he still takes that suffering and uses it for his honor and glory, amen? And that's how we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God. But there has to be some uh, change in your life where you finally start saying, I love God. And if I love him, I'm going to start obeying him and if I obey him, I'm going to start dealing with this stuff because I want to be usable and my life is like a vapor, it appears for a little time vanishes away, Uh, I need to get on this now, I need to deal with this so that I can be a light like we talked about this morning and so 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, we're going to read the first seven verses and uh, we're going to do a lesson tonight uh, about taking thoughts captive, taking thoughts captive. And so I think this will be very practical help for you. In verse number one, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In other words, a lot of things were going on, a lot of things are being said, and the Apostle Paul knows that if I come there and these things aren't sorted out, <laughs> there's going to be uh, some conversations taking place. And I'm going to be bold about these things because he knows he's fighting for the souls of men. He's fighting for the church. Amen. That's why he wrote. He said, I'd rather, I'd rather be bold to you in my letters and have you repent and have you get right so that when I come to you, it, we, we don't, I don't have to be bold like that. I don't have to deal with you. And that's really a great uh, premise for the Word of God because that's what God wants. He wrote us a letter, He wrote us a book, so that He doesn't have to deal with us face to face. He doesn't have to deal with us in our uh, nasty now and now situations, amen? He doesn't have to chastise us or correct us. He wants us simply to repent and turn our hearts because of what He said in the Word of God. He goes on to say, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war... After the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So that means whatever you think your problem is, you're not going to sort it out by grabbing a baseball bat or grabbing a gun or uh, grabbing some drugs or some alcohol or whatever it is. Uh, your, Your problem cannot be addressed in a carnal fashion. It takes something more than that to tear down these strongholds. And so it goes on to say here, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do ye look on, uh, do you look after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ. Let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just guide this message tonight. Lord, I I pray that it would have an impact where, Lord, we can be better prepared for the battles that we're in. And Lord, maybe even deal with some of the past baggage and some of the past things that have happened Lord, uh, Satan hates us and we need some help. We need some real weaponry. We need to really uh, develop a strategy. We need you to help us. Lord, I just pray you'd use this passage for us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the word stronghold that we see in this passage, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is a fortification. A stronghold is when you look at somebody that's battling with something that they can't get loose of, that is a stronghold. They've been fortified in that. A stronghold many times can maybe even be tied to a person's identity, where you say, hey, that person is just like that because they're so intertwined with that stronghold, you can't imagine them being any other way. The emotional problem, the issue that they have, well, this is just how they react, no, it's a stronghold, and that stronghold needs to be torn down. And we got to do that through spiritual means, amen? And so we got to be very careful when we start uh, uh, labeling ourselves by the way, we, the way we react to situations, our, our, our emotional life, because sometimes we're in error when we just say that this is just how we are, this is how I am, this is how I react. Well, that may be how you react, but that's not how God made you to react. And God has a better way for you to handle problems. (laughs) Amen. You don't have to blow up. You don't have to run away. You don't have to hide. You don't have to have the silent treatment. You don't need to do any of those things. You can actually look somebody straight in the eye. If you have a conflict or something like that, and you can talk through it and deal with it without having to go hide in the basement and sulk or suck your thumb. Uh, Those are emotional issues that are rooted in lie-based thinking. And so we need to learn to be mature in our Christian life. We know that if we have lies in our life, we probably are immature. And they've kept us uh, at a level that we ought not want to be at. (laughs) Amen. we got to become mature. And so uh, strongholds, to hold fast or a fortification. And then it goes on to talk about imaginations. And I want to point out this definition as well. The verse is casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. This verse is so powerful. I mean, it tells you really the secret to the victorious Christian life right here. Uh, What's going to happen is you're going to make decisions in your life. And you're going to talk about things and develop philosophies and ideas. And every one of those ideas are either going to be in line with the scripture or they're going to be based on some other criteria, something you want in your flesh or something somebody has told you. But whatever those ideas are, if they're not scripture, what we are doing is exalting them above the word of God. And we have to be careful about that. That's how strongholds are created because if we're raising something above the scripture, we can be sure that is, an, that is not truth that we're doing there. And that's what strongholds are built from. Strongholds are built from lies, every brick of it. If you, if you get a picture of a castle, a fortification, and you see a bunch of bricks, every one of those bricks are made up of lies, and they strengthen that stronghold. And so what we need to do is if we're going to deal with um, the strongholds in our life, we're going to have to deal with the lies in our life. We're going to have to pick it down brick by, brick by brick, amen? And that's why God gives us a strategy here. <clears throat> so casting down imagination now what's an imagination an imagination is something that we have reckoned to be so a calculation or a consideration or a reflection it's almost an accounting term reckoning or calculation so it's it's how we process something and we've come up with an idea based upon our calculations this is the way it is amen and that's why we say stuff like, uh, "Well, I'm, this is just who I am," you know. Uh, I've had people say, "Well, well, I, I just I'm not for soul winning, because that's not who I am," you know. But that person over there, they're good at it. That's who they are, <laughs> you know. And so they're relegating our obedience to Christ and obedience to the Word of God with the fact of how we are made. And so that's a serious problem because you've just calculated something and that calculation has brought you above the Word of God. And that's not what the Bible says, because he tells us all to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, some of us may be more fluent. Some of us may have a better memory for more verses, uh, but that doesn't mean you're going to win more people to Christ, <laughs> amen, because as long as you've got a heart for God, God can flow through you and use you to bring people to Christ, and it doesn't matter, you've, but you've got to deal with the reckonings, the computings of your life. They have to be cast down. They have to be dealt with. And, uh, and like I said, it becomes such an issue where we identify it with who we are. This is just how I am. And we, we find comfort in that because most of the time these issues keep us from, experience, from being responsible for what God has put on our lives to be responsible for. So we find ways out of responsibility. We find ways out of doing what God wants us to do. And so if it's just not who I am, then people say, oh, Okay, and then they walk away. Well, you may be able to convince everybody around you, but there's one person you've never convinced, and that's God who made you. He knows exactly who you're supposed to be, and he knows all the layers of garbage above our lives and our heart, and he, he puts things in our life to peel away, layer by layer, the things that we have put there or the world has instilled in us so that the person that Christ has created can emerge out And we can begin to see, this is who God made me to be. I think almost every Christian that's saved, well, if you're a Christian, you should be saved, amen? (laughs) Every saved person should have probably gone through some sort of identity crisis after they got saved. I know I did. I got saved, and I began to question, who in the world am I anyways? Because I spent, like, I got saved later, so here I've developed an idea about who I was. And so here at 24, 25 years old, I find the Lord, and I'm wondering, who am I? Because I've developed my whole life who I thought I was. And so I began to go to the book of Ephesians. I began uh, seeking the word of God about who exactly I was. And he began to peel away some of the layers, because I was never the kind of person that would preach a sermon in front of people, because that's just not who I am. I'm not the kind of person to do something like that, amen? I like being in the background. I like being hidden somewhere. That's just who I am, amen? But then God began to put on my heart, hey, I want you to preach. I said, Lord, that's just not who I am. He didn't fall for it. Maybe everybody else did, but he didn't, amen? He says, well, then let's help you find out who you really are, amen? And so he began to work in my heart so that I would would break through. And I begin to understand that there's a lot more to me than I understood in the first place. And what, how he created me to be. And, uh, and it's special. Every one of us, special in the eyes of God. He has got a purpose for you. Uh, he created you very uniquely. You think that every snowflake you look at when it's snowing is different. It's no different when he's looking at you. Amen. Amen. You're very unique. Even though the Bible deals on a general basis for all of us in the same way, uh, it's very applicable to every unique individual that God created. Amen. Just be careful that you are who God created and not who you created. Because that's where the problem lies with a lot of people. That's when you turn on the news. That's what you're hearing on the news. A whole bunch of people that created their own persona with the devil's input the devil's input because when the devil can get you thinking you're somebody other than god created you to be he mocks god because his battle is with him (laughs) and when he can get to you saying stuff that's against the word of god he kind of just flips his nose at god amen that's why we've got to become free we've got to become who god made us to be all right so satan will build fortifications in our souls that are built of imaginations or things that are not true that we have calculated or that we have reckoned to be the truth. And one of the key principles to victorious Christian living uh, that is rarely taught in church is this. Uh, this is important now. That you, need to, you need to know this truth. And that's this. Not every thought that enters into your head is your thought. Now, if every thought that is, enters into your head is your thought, you're in big trouble. Because it's pretty hard to battle when you are telling yourself something and how to straighten that out. <laughs> Amen. But if it's something, if, it, if it's a projectile, in warfare terms, coming from the outside in, then we have some defensive mechanisms we can put in place to deflect those weapons that are coming at us but if it's you if it's all you then you're one messed up individual that's all i could say and chances are you'll always be messed up because satan works very hard to plant thoughts in people's minds to mess up the way you think about yourself and then getting you to think that it's actually your thought that's what he does amen so we got to be careful Now, there are three sources that can influence your mind. Three sources. Number one is the Holy Spirit can prompt our hearts to think upon truth. And so here within this uh, context of this church service, the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God is working in you and he's directing your mind towards the truth. And he wants you to think about the truth. It's very important that we allow him to do that. Now, that's why when you come to church, you can walk out of a church service and say, boy, that was really helpful. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit had you sitting down and quiet for a while (laughs) and focusing on the preaching of the Word of God, where you could actually hear what the Holy Spirit was trying to tell you. Not out in the world where your music is always on, where the TV's always blasting, where something's always taking your attention from actually hearing what the Holy Spirit of God is trying to influence your heart with. Amen. And that's why we encourage people to spend time in God's Word every day, quietly, meditating on the Word of God so the Holy Spirit of God can speak to you. But we are so busy, you know, with stuff that God never speaks to our heart. He wants to, but He's not just going to grab you and throw you on the ground and say, listen! You know, He speaks to you in that still, small voice. You don't want to hear Him. He says, that's really too bad because what I'm going to tell you is going to change your life. Amen? That's why church is so important. You know, it gets you to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> it does. You're not sitting there being all crazy. That's why we believe in having structure in the church as well. So you can sit there and learn to be quiet and teach our kids to be quiet so they can hear the word of God. And not only that, the Holy Spirit has that freedom to work in the hearts and minds of each individual. Amen. It's very important. That's why we don't believe in crazy services and just out of control things taking place. It's got to be organized. It's got to be peaceful. (laughs) Amen. And so the Holy Spirit can prompt. John 16, verse 13, it says, "...howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak." And he will show you things to come. And now we know the primary interpretation of that passage is talking about the Holy Spirit of God giving a new revelation through the apostles to write down in the word of God. Amen. That's the primary interpretation. But the secondary application of this passage is that the Holy Spirit constantly directs us into the truth. That's all he does. He doesn't make a big deal about himself. He's not saying, hey, look at me. I'm the spirit. <laughs> Some church services are like that. Oh, look at the Spirit, the Spirit. He's saying, don't worry about me. I'm trying to point you to the truth. And the truth is Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? And He is the exemplification of truth. He is the revelation of truth. And that's why the Holy Spirit will always point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Not talk about Himself. And so... um, See, where else I was going to go with this. The Spirit of God will always direct us to beneficial, truthful things. Beneficial and truthful. Amen. They're going to help you. (laughs) Whatever He directs you to do. Um, He will not cause us to think on truth that is hurtful. That's not what He does. It's always going to help you. Amen. It may convict you, but it's going to help you. Um, in James 1.13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So what we're talking about there is the Holy Spirit of God is not going to direct you into any evil temptation. He's always going to direct you away. So if you feel a uh, desire to do something that isn't right, you know that God has nothing to do with that. Uh, that's That's the flesh. And that's Satan working through the flesh to get you to turn away from the Lord. Amen. Number two on this, the flesh influences our thinking as we allow bad influences in our heart. And so the flesh influences our thinking. In James 1.14, uh, continuing on from that passage there in James one thirteen, it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust." And enticed. So you're not going to blame the devil here. (laughs) The devil's involved. But you can't just say, oh, the devil made me do it. That's not true. Because there's a process that it works through. And ultimately, that final decision is yours. The devil's not just going to make you do something uh, out of your control. So it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished bringeth forth death. Amen. And so we're drawn away of our own lust. Drawn away is, means to draw, to drag out. as from the right way, to draw away from. So the flesh in you <laughs> is dragging you away from the good things in your life, from the good influences in your life, from doing the right thing. That's what the flesh does. <laughs> the flesh cannot be reformed. The flesh is corrupt, and the flesh has to be dealt with ultimately by God at the end of all of this, amen? All you can do is crucify it. All you can do is kill it. You can't control it. You can't put a bridle on the flesh. You can't say, well, I'm going you know, to let the flesh do this and this, but not this. Folks, when you give the flesh an inch, <laughs> it will take a mile. That's all there is to it, amen? Amen. And that's what the flesh does. So the flesh influences our thinking as we allow bad influences in our heart. And so the word lust, it says, when lust hath conceived, it means to desire greatly, a strong desire or longing. Now the word lust in itself is not necessarily a bad word. I mean, you can lust for good things. The spirit lusteth, the Bible says. And so it desires something very strongly. But when it comes to the flesh lusting, that's a bad thing. That's a very bad thing. And it's a strong desire. So when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And by the way, just because you get a bad thought and an idea does not mean you've sinned yet. Because Satan could put stuff in your head. So what you got to do when that bad thought comes, you need to just throw it out. You need to cast it away. Say, Lord, I don't want to think on this. Lord, can you please take away that thought? And you know what? It's something that came from the outside in. It's not something that you just concocted on your own. Now, sometimes there is. But usually what happens is there's an initial uh, hit that the devil puts in your mind, and then you grab onto that, and then you meditate on that. Now, when you decide to think on it, now what you've done is you've just sinned. But you could have the thought and not not sin yet, (laughs) As long as in that moment you're casting it out. You know, you don't have to say, Lord, forgive me all day long, <laughs> every time something comes into your head. But what you got to do is you got to learn to cast it out immediately. But if you grab onto it and you begin meditating on it and thinking on it, now you've sinned. And that sin is going to hurt you. And that was the devil's whole ploy. So he gets his dart and he tries to shoot it in there. And that's why the Bible talks about, in Ephesians, it talks about a fiery dart. The dart hits your mind, and then it engulfs your thinking. Amen? And so that fire. So what we want is we want to immediately put out that fire. And that's where we say, Lord, could you please take that thought into captivity? You know? I don't want that thought in my mind. And then think upon the truth. And that truth will just throw water on that thing. And it'll kill it right there. You haven't sinned yet. But if you allow that thought to consume your thinking, and now you're sitting there brooding on it, you've sinned. And now it's become your decision. You know, So you can't blame yourself for every thought that comes in your head, but you've got to blame yourself if you're taking that thought and thinking on it and allowing it to consume your mind. And that can easily happen with people. There's some people that are so consumed. It's like, <laughs> I've seen people, it's like the devil is shooting arrows at them every two minutes, and they're letting everyone hit, they're letting every thought expand itself in their mind, and they are just losing their brain. And The devil's just laughing. <laughs> when they have the ability, through the power of the Spirit of God, to actually reject it, and to put out that flame, to put out that thought, and to kick it out, and to have a clear line of thinking. And so that's why we teach these things. We, this is spiritual warfare, Amen? We're fighting a battle here. And that's what we need to implement in our life. And so... Um, so the ultimate end of this, uh, we live in this world, 2 Timothy 4, 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So it gets to the place where now... Because I'm thinking in this line of thinking, I want people teaching me that this is the way I ought to think, and then you find teachers to do that, you know. And that's why, you know, when you have a good Bible preacher, you're going to be convicted. You're going to feel bad about the way you've allowed yourself to run loose and (laughs) crazy with your thinking, and but at least then you'll have some freedom. So you got to be careful because the time will come when they will not endure. That means they walk out and say, "I've had enough of this." I'm tired of being always pointed out and, you know, that I'm wrong and so forth. Instead of realizing you are wrong, <laughs> you know, and you can have victory and you can have peace in your life. Amen. That's so important. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Uh, very important we understand this. Um, let's see, where do I want to go here? Our flesh can be fed by what we allow in our hearts through our senses. This is what we got to understand here. Our seeing, our hearing, our feeling, all of these things are going to influence our flesh and how strong the flesh is in our life. That's why we tell people: don't watch certain things on TV, you know, because those things are gonna stimulate the flesh. And it's gonna come through your eye gate. Don't listen to certain kinds of music. Because that music is going to come in and stimulate the flesh in your life. And you're going to begin to operate in the flesh. Which is a terrible way to go. Because the flesh does not give you happiness or, or peace or any of that stuff. In fact, you'll be miserable. And you'll, <laughs> you'll, be, a, you'll be a wreck. Amen. Uh, but that's not what the flesh tells you when it plays you the music. Oh, this is good. You need this. No, you don't. You don't. And that's why we have standards. Now, it's not legalism to have standards in your life. Standards are not there because you're good. Standards are there because you're bad. <laughs> standards are there because you're corrupt. You've got a corrupt nature that messes with you all the time. and You need to put in standards because you know you have weaknesses. And if you don't have standards there, you are going to fail. You are going to fail. And so that's why we put standards in place. That's why we teach our young ladies to dress properly. Well, if, if they were spiritual, they wouldn't. It wouldn't matter how I dressed. Well, come on, we're not dealing with super spiritual heavenly people that are in glory already. We're dealing with people that are walking with the flesh twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. Amen. That's why we care about them, and we're going to do things to help them in their personal battle. Amen? Amen? That's what love is. (laughs) That's what caring for people is. I'm tired of this new Christianity thing that says it doesn't matter how you dress, it matters. You're hurting people, and you will meet God one day about that. And it's not just about what kind of dress you're wearing. It's about what you did to that person's soul. Amen? We're here to protect people. It's called love. Amen? (laughs) If we love people, we're going to help people. We're going to protect them. We're not going to tempt them. We're not going to push the edge all the time and say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't say this in the Bible. And, you know, keep pushing that and keep pushing that until finally you push them over the edge. God help you. Which side are you working for anyways? <laughs> Amen. We're working with God here. God is holy. God is righteous and just and God is loving. Amen. And we ought to have that same love for others even if it, even if it causes us to be slightly dis. Uh, uncomfortable you understand that well I just want to be comfortable well put yourself aside and do something for someone else for a change is that too much (laughs) Jesus foxes have holes why didn't he come living in a mansion couldn't he have died and still lived in a nice house (laughs) he did it all for us And he set us an example. You know, be willing to lose for others. Be willing to give up yourself for others. Be willing to suffer some things for other people. (laughs) This whole self-defense thing about, well, I could do this, and using the scripture, not to help people, but using the scripture to try to get away with stuff. Wicked! Wicked, wicked, wicked. The devil's in it. (laughs) The devil uses the Bible. He just uses it in a different way than God does. God uses it to bring peace and safety to people's lives. The devil uses it for you to get your own way. Amen. Says the same thing. It's amazing. You'll read the same verse, two different people, the two different minds, and come up with two different outcomes. Amen. Very important stuff here. And so, uh, our flesh, seeing, hearing, feeling, All these things we have to be careful about. That's why we have standards. Standards are not there so you can say, I'm a good Baptist, look at me, I'm just like the other guys. (laughs) I don't care about the other guys. I don't care what other churches do. I don't care about fitting in with a Baptist crowd. What I care about is, are we living in a way that protects people? protects people from hurting and from having sin placed in front of their eyes and tempting them when they themselves have have got themselves into trouble and yes some people you know what they've grown up with pornography (laughs) so you know what I do for them I love them enough to make sure that I don't do anything that will tempt them the wrong way well that's their problem (laughs) are you saved (laughs) that's my question Because a saved individual loves people. (laughs) A saved individual is after the the very uh, pattern of Christ, willing to go to the cross and die for others. We live in a fleshly Christianity. It's all about, well, I'll go this far, but I'm not going to give up too much. Shame on you. You're going to look in the eyes of the Savior one day. (laughs) You're going to look him straight in the eyes. You're going to see everything he did. in that one look... And he's going to compare it to everything you did in that one look. And you're going to buckle before him. Saying, Lord, I'm such a fool. Oh, you can be sure there will be tears in heaven, all right. As we begin to evaluate how we lived our lives for others. Because usually it's far more about us than it is about others. Amen. Anyways, that's a rabbit trail. All right. Proverbs 4.23 Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Guard, keep. When you talk about keeping you're talking about a garrison. You're talking about putting guards around something. (laughs) So we have to guard our heart. And with all diligence for out of it are the issues. You may be plagued with thoughts of immorality that this may be because you're watching things. You're hearing things that are influencing your heart. Amen? And especially if you've already got a stronghold developed, you've got to be very careful in that process of breaking it down that you're still not feeding the very thing you're trying to defeat. Amen? So it's called standards. That's the, the evil thing today with the Baptist. Oh, those standards. Those standards will save your life. You need them. And I realize, man, the independent Baptist churches today are nothing like they used to be. They have dropped the standard, they're playing the game. Folks, we're not going to do that here. And you know what's going to be the difference? You know why we're not going to do that? Because we ought to truly love people. That's the difference. It's not, and maybe that's the reason why. Maybe we had our standards because we're trying to prove we're spiritual when really standards are not there because you're spiritual. Your standards are there because you're very not spiritual. Your standards are there because you know how weak you are, not how strong you are. Amen? But maybe we've allowed them to be an emblem of our strength when it's not. It's really a statement of our weakness. We have to continue. And I'm going to preach that stuff. And you say, well, that's just, you know, legalism. <laughs> Sorry. I love to pe- people too much to give into your foolish arguments. And you know, you can go that way if you want, but I know where it's bringing you. Not closer to this pulpit, it's bringing you out the door. Because we're here to help people and sacrifice for others. And that means I got to give up something for someone else, and we ought to be able to do that to help them. Amen. I think that would be Jesus' message. I don't know about you, amen. I think that is. The Bible says in Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And so we've got to be very careful here when we're dealing with the flesh. Uh, they're one of those sources. The Holy Spirit prompts our hearts to think upon the truth. The flesh influences our thinking as we allow bad influences into our heart. And number three, the devil. The devil. This is the third influence that we can have in our life. And you can't blame the devil for everything, but he's really behind everything. (laughs) Amen. The devil can place thoughts in your mind. He surely can. In fact, in Ephesians 6.16, we have the scripture that says, above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked the darts of the wicked so there's obviously a, a weaponry that he's using and he's pointing it at our hearts and he wants us he wants to hit it right there and he says i'm giving you a shield and that shield is able to quench some of those darts is that what it says all of the darts, all of the darts. all of the things that he's aiming into your heart and mind, that shield can quench it. That fiery dart, you let that thing hit. It's going to consume you. Sometimes I've talked to people, I couldn't get three words that have made sense out of their mouth, because I think the devil hit them so hard and engulfed their thinking that they couldn't even find their way out of that. It can't even make sense of what they're saying. You know, you're trying to help them. You're trying to maneuver them through but they're so busy in their head <laughs> that you can't even help them because they don't see it see straight. See, folks, we got we to gotta deal with it before it hits. <laughs> Amen. The shield is there not to deal with the after effects of the hit. The shield is there to keep it from hitting. <laughs> Amen. And so that's what we need to have, the shield of faith that is able to quench all the fiery darts. So it's a dart, in warfare, it was a dart they set on fire. When it hit something, it, it began to spread and burn everything that it touched and engulf it completely. And that's what Satan wants to do with your thoughts. You ever had a thought that it came in, you didn't even realize it, all of a sudden it's just consuming your thoughts, your, your thinking? That's exactly what's happening. That fire has just consumed your mind. <laughs> and if you're not careful, if you haven't developed a strategy if you haven't uh, acknowledged the fact that this is actually going on, you're going to wonder, am I going crazy here? Because I keep getting these thoughts, one after another, that keeps consuming my thinking. Well, it's because you haven't had the shield of faith up. You know, you haven't stopped it before it hit your mind. See, that's what we need to do. This is warfare here. <laughs> any um, any um, soldier knows they're not going to put on the bulletproof vest after the shooting starts, <laughs> They're going to put on the bulletproof vest before the bullets come. Amen? But I think Christianity has been lulled to sleep. We're walking out there. We're in the middle of the battlefield. We're not even facing the enemy because we don't even know who it is. We're, We're walking around like this, no helmet on, no shield. We're getting hit left and right and wondering what's going on. And the preachers aren't helping because they got a positive message for us today. <laughs> Amen. What about something that'll help me, preacher? I'm in a war here and'm being destroyed. Amen. The devil, fiery darts. It means to ignite, to set on fire. Darts is a missile, a weapon. So you can be sure the devil I don't think he's just out there uh, indiscriminately throwing darts out. Let's see where they hit. <laughs> I think he's very strategic. And I think he looks at your life and he takes that dart and he aims it exactly where he wants it, exactly at the right time. You could be walking around, man, things are going pretty good. I got victory today. And you just drop your defense just a little bit. He waits, bam. Also, come from <laughs> boy i'm a mess <laughs> you know how can i be so good one minute and so bad the next <laughs> he's got you right me- messed up especially if you don't realize it's actually his darts doing it you're thinking half the time this is me that's why people go crazy i'm just thinking that. no darts so that means you can put up a shield <laughs> keep the darts from hitting keep the go- darts from engulfing your thinking Amen, But that takes strategy, it takes diligence, it takes learning the warfare, and it takes being ready and putting on the armor to keep yourself from being hit. Now the devil will accuse you. We know in Revelation 12 verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. So he's an accuser. He accuses you of things. You know, he'll, he'll set you up to fail. He'll actually set up the scenario for you to fail. The temptation, the people, everything that needs to be in place, he'll put it there. He knows because you're not prepared, you're going to dive into it. Then later on, he's going to accuse you because you did it. <laughs> That's how the devil works. He, he has no, does no <laughs> there's nothing in him that says, oh, you poor, you know, I know it's a little hard on you there. He never says that to anybody. He's looking for maximum impact. He's looking, how can I take this person out? He is a murderer. He's a psychopath. And he wants to take you out. There's no emotion in him. No love. No care. And he'll do whatever he can to take you down. You know? He accuses you. That's why you have to be careful when you're tempted to accuse people of things. Especially when you're not dealing with them directly. Be careful of that accusing spirit. We can do it. And I think sometimes the devil uses us to throw around his accusations. People in the church. When we should be trying to help that person instead of driving them backwards... Folks, sometimes what we do because we think we're right and what we're doing is we're driving people back instead of drawing them towards to help them. We're not supposed to be accusers. The devil is the accuser, amen? We're not the accuser, but many times we do his accusing for him. It's important to follow scripture if you've got an issue with someone's behavior in the church. You know, the Bible, that's why it tells you that if there's someone that has sinned, You go to them alone first. There's a reason why God did that. See, I understand. It's a lot easier to tell the preacher and say, Preacher, can you deal with this guy? Number one, I was not there. Number two, usually the person that wants me to go deal with it says, don't tell him I told you. So now I'm really dealing with imagination in their mind. That How do you know this? Uh... (laughs) I just got this word from God. <laughs> no. That's why the Bible has a certain way to deal with it. That means when you're witnessing something that isn't right, God, re- God expects you to be the one to go to that person. And that way, if he gets right, the only two people that will ever know it are you and that person. And if you've done anything other than that, gone around and told everybody, your family and everybody else, you've just sinned. You've sinned. Well, I'm right. Well, you're right in one thing and wrong in ten other things. It doesn't matter if you're right in some things. See, that's why the Lord gives us criteria in Matthew 18 on how to address people. You go to them alone. If they don't listen to you, then you bring two spiritual people that know how to keep their mouths shut to go with you and deal with that person. And then if they don't get right there, then you say, Pastor we got to deal with this guy. We tried to tell him, and he just, he's continuing in this sin, and I'm just afraid he's going to hurt people. That's what it's about. It's about hurting people. Amen? So that's when the church gets involved. That's when the leadership gets involved. That's when church discipline comes into play, which shouldn't be a forgotten thing. It's still there. Amen? We need to use it when we need it. But the thing is, we don't use it because we don't follow the right criteria most, most of the time. Go to them alone, <laughs> you know, bring somebody with you and then bring it to the church. Amen. And so, um, <clears throat> and here it is, uh, just had it written down here. Matthew 18 verse 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That should be your desire. Your desire shouldn't be just to expose everybody's sin, <laughs> amen, because you're a sinner, and how would you feel about other people exposing your sin? Wouldn't you appreciate them coming to you quietly first and saying, hey, brother, I've seen you're battling or your sister with this, and you, know, you really need to get that right. You know, yeah, you know, I know it was wrong. I was stupid. Dear God, forgive me. And you know what? You and that person alone have dealt with it. Nobody else is involved. Nobody else's mind has been tainted towards that person. And they can go forward in victory. But man, you start spreading people's garbage. You're working against God. God's plan. You know? It says, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. That means at that point, when they're being obstinate, Now you need to make sure that everybody knows there's witnesses on what's being said. Very important. Then it goes on to say, and if you neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if you neglect to hear the church, let them be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. That's called church discipline. Uh, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's very powerful. God has given the local church a lot of power that way. That means if we act on something, you may think, oh, what's a big deal, just a bunch of dummies. I know we are, we're a bunch of dummies. But God has given these dummies a plan to work out that works. And so when we initiate this, and we actually bring it before the church, you can be sure that is nailed rock solid in heaven. In heaven. And you can't escape it until you get right. Why? because the Lord just hates you? No, because the Lord just loves you. And he doesn't want you to deal with anything else than the thing that has gotten you out of fellowship with him. Amen. Number one, that's the first thing on your docket every day, deal with your sin. (laughs) Amen. All right. Uh, So the devil um, accuses, the devil deceives, uh, in 2 John, verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. A deceiver is an imposter. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils amen i'll tell you something he he knows how to deceive people that is his that is his thing he knows what he's doing in regards to deception and we got to be very careful that we do not allow deception into our heart and life speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron the result of satanic influence with lies is a duplicity of life that means that you'll begin to live two lives there's one that we see here. There's one that you live in secret. Amen? That ought not be. It ought to be where you are, who you are, wherever you are. Whether you meet somebody downtown at the grocery store, you are exactly who you always are, are, <laughs> were meant to be. Whether you're at home alone in your living room watching TV, you should be exactly what you are here. should never be a duplicity. That duplicity is, is a statement of how the devil has worked in your heart, in life. So you've got to be very careful about that. Um, Satan is the seductive, seducing spirits. Deceitful, seducing. Also, the devil provokes. How does he provoke? He provokes with fear. First Chronicles 21, verse 1, it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now, what got into David's mind that he wanted to number Israel when God said, don't number Israel? <laughs> you know? Now, why did God tell him not to number Israel? That's the first thing. Well, he told him not to number it because he said, that's not how you win your battles. How many people you have is not going to dictate your victory. I will. <laughs> I am your God. I am the one that gives you victory, not how many soldiers you have. So when he began counting soldiers... What happened is, his trust was moving away from the Lord to their ability to win the battles. Amen? The devil wants you to do that. He wants you to trust in your abilities. He doesn't want you to turn to the Lord, <laughs> you know? But I'll tell you something, look at the Gideon's 300 men. Now, Gideon, what kind of guy was he? Now, you think, what a great man of God. No, <laughs> he was a coward. <laughs> he, he was hiding, <laughs> You know, he was not a great man of God. And that's the whole point, that God said, hey, what I, I'm gonna, if you trust in me, this is what I'm going to do. And even in your, your, your cowardly fashion of trusting in him, he says, I'm more powerful with you trusting in me, and you're still a coward, than you being having a million men and thinking that you can take on the whole world. That's what God's telling Gideon. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. They didn't have to fire one, bow. they walked up there, here's a lamp, <laughs> lift up the lamp and yell this. <laughs> you know? Wow, yeah, great strategy. Now, if I would have said that to them, they said, you're a nut, they would put me in a padded room. But God said, you do this. And sure enough, God was there to put fear into the hearts of the enemy, and they hightailed it and ran. <laughs> Amen, they took off. How many times did God do that for them? Amen. So fear, Satan uses us, uh, causes us to have an attack of fear based in a thought that, we will, that, that, that will bring us to do something that is an act of self-will rather than the Lord's will. So your fear is always going to make you do something. Amen? Where faith is going to wait on God to do something. But your fear is going to initiate the flesh. I got to do something, I got to do something, I got to do something. <laughs> And you're going to do it and fail. (laughs) Amen. You're going to do it and fail. Fear. So the devil provokes you. He wants you to trust in your flesh. He wants you to do things your way. Uh, But also there's greed. In Acts 5 verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of of the price of the land? So what was going on here that the devil was working in Ananias's heart Because he had said, I'm going to give you all of the price of this land. But when he began to look at the money, it's like, wow, that's a lot of money. I'm sure the Lord, you know, it's not like he needs all of it. Like, does he really need anything anyways? (laughs) You know, we reason that out in our heads, right? And you know what? We're just going to keep back a part of that. And it would have been okay for them to say, hey, you know, uh, apostles, we want to give you a part of our sale of this land. That would have been great. They have said, wonderful. But that's not what they said. They said, we're going to give you all of it. And then when greed hit them, they held something back. That's how Satan works. They wanted people to look at them like they looked at Barnabas. Remember, this is just on the heels of Barnabas. Barnabas had some land. He sold the land. He gave it to the church. He didn't care. He says, yeah, use it the way you want. (laughs) You know? They thought, wow, that Barnabas, look at him. He's a great guy. Everybody really respects him. We got some land. They weren't wanting to help God. They were wanting respect. So they took their land and they sold it. But because they did it with the wrong motivation, because they did it in the flesh, the flesh was still there when they sold it. And the flesh just said, Oh, let's keep back a little of that. <laughs> you know, nobody will ever know. Well, the Lord knew. And it cost them their life. They lied to the church, telling everybody that they were going to give all the proceeds from the sale. But secretly, they held back part because of their greed. Satan filled their heart to do that. He did it. He filled their heart to do that. Then there's false doctrines. We've talked a little bit about that. Anyways, we are done, man. I'm, I didn't get to really my, the crux of my message here. Uh, folks, I don't want to keep you too long. I want to get into this next time about four steps to take your thoughts captive because that's what, the, that's what the battle is. Satan wants to take his dark, put it into your mind, and he wants that to engulf your thinking. And so you need to fight that. Oh, man, don't you just hate this? Can I give you four points real quick? Number one is this. (laughs) Confess. Confess. Admit. Confess publicly. Acknowledge openly before the Lord that issue that you have. Confess it before the Lord. Number two. Cast down that thought. That's what the Bible says. Casting down imaginations. Imaginations. That means canceling it. Second Corinthians 4.2 says, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. To renounce means to speak out against, to hold to the end, to refuse, to deny, to renounce or disown with aversion. I disown that with aversion. <laughs> Amen. You don't have to use those words, but you have to disown it. And so cast down that thought. Number three, command. Lies are satanically induced and must be renounced. And then must be, uh, and then there must be a claiming of Christ's authority against the attacks that come. Standing in Christ's authority is standing in Christ's word and claiming it in victory. So you can't just say, I claim victory. <laughs> no, you claim victory according to the word of God thus saith the lord use the word of god to overcome these thoughts command according to the scripture command to lead the thought to obedience that's why the bible says taking every thought unto the obedience of christ amen it's something that brings obedience and number 4 i am going quickly and i apologize is commit or commend second corinthians 10:6 having in a readiness To revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Readiness means meaning, uh, means ready to do, ready to do it. Revenge is, it means to bring out the right or justice so the accusation of my adversary may not stand against me. Taking a revenge is using what the devil is accusing you of and do it opposite. Say, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to do it right. Amen. Amen. Commending it. Anyway, sorry, our time is up. Let's bow our heads. Folks, there are three sources that can influence your mind. There's the Holy Spirit. And as you live surrendered to the Lord, He can speak to your heart and help you to understand things. He's the Spirit of truth. He will always guide you into truth. The flesh, the flesh is going to influence you to do the wrong things. You're going to be tempted by that. And then the devil. The devil can place thoughts in your mind. Let me ask you this. Do you have a strategy ready to fight those thoughts as the devil places them in your mind and heart? Do you know that that's going to be the difference between you having victory or you being defeated in life? Take those thoughts, captive.